0: Good afternoon, I'm Frank Kaufman. I'm the president of 12 Gates Foundation. I'm extremely honored this afternoon to welcome to our interview series Professor John Stratton Hawley, or Jack Hawley. Professor Hawley is the Claire Tao Professor of Religion at Barnard University, his professional home since 1986. Professor Hawley's research is focused in the religious life and literature of North India, particularly that of the past 500 years. Jack Hawley has served as the director of Columbia University's South Asia Institute and has received multiple awards from the National Endowment of the Humanities, the Smithsonian, and the American Institute of Indian Studies. He has also been a Guggenheim Fellow and was recently elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. In 2016 and 17, he was a Fulbright Nehru Fellow and principally resident in Brindaban, India, not far from New Delhi. Professor Holly is the author and editor of more than 25 books, most of them treating concerns related to Hinduism and the religions of India, Recent publications include A Storm of Songs, India and the Idea of the Bhakti Movement, and with Kenneth E. Bryant, Sewer's Ocean, Poems from the Early Tradition. Both of these books were published by Harvard University Press in 2015. They both won awards from the Association for Asian Studies. Dr. Hawley's most recent publication is Krishna's Playground, Brindavan in the 21st Century. This was published by Harvard University Press just recently, uh, this year, 2020. Please join me to welcome to the program, Professor Jack Hawley. Uh, Professor, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. It's really uh, our good luck to have you with us.
1: I'm glad to be here. We have a little secret that it took a few times for us to be able to... It <laughs> yeah, worked.
0: All right. I think perhaps we we uh, started on Friday the 13th. That may have been the beginning of Troubles, but we're here now, and this is a... a now great it's full force Diwali. We're okay. <laughs> right? That's correct. Yeah, Diwali. That's p- perfect. We should have a colorful time together. Um, so the... Uh, The brief background about our encounter, we, uh, this is new for a a new relationship. We've not been working together in different times of our history. Uh, And uh, we both have a common friend in uh, uh, Acharya Srivatsa Goswami, who is the, uh, who is in Brindaban and head of, what is the name of his, uh, of his uh, ashram?
1: uh, Called the Sri Chaitanya Premsansthan. Or as it would be called locally, um, either Gambira is the technical name, or I think uh, Gambira, you get right. Your, you Gambira, right? Yes. choice. So
0: uh Srivatsaji is uh, the heir of uh, of an original family of the area, and quite a quite a beautiful embodiment of the spirituality and potential of uh, the tradition and the locale. And both of us, for different reasons, have the blessing of had of having. Uh, Srivatsa as an acquaintance. Uh, I interviewed uh, Shrivats um, uh, on his on his uh, recent work. It's not that recent, honestly, but he's become quite the environmental activist for the protection of the is it Jumma
1: River? Is that the correct name? It's pronounced two ways, Jumna, uh, if you're speaking uh, Hindi in that way. Yes. Uh, more formally, so it's the ja is the vernacularization of the Sanskrit ya. It's very, very
0: nice. Jamna is the best, that's good, uh,
1: pretty close.
0: Jamuna, uh, Jamuna. So, uh, th- so the so, Brindaban sits on the Jamuna River. The river has suffered uh, environmental uh, assault due to the various forces of modernity, and Srivatsa, who's responsible for. Uh, the town in ways, uh, at least to the extent that his family has served as a spiritual center there, uh, is naturally invested in care for the river. So I was interviewing Srivatsa on this matter, and uh, I wanted to know where some of the, although he's an old friend, I, I asked him, what can I read? How can I prepare to interview you? And Srivatsa referred me to your book, uh, Professor Hawley, Uh,
1: Krishna, uh, uh, the the name of the book, please again, please. It's called Krishna's Playground, Vrindavan in the 21st first second century.
0: Yes, thank you, Krishna's Playground, Vrindavan in the 21st century. And uh, there's a chapter on Srivatsa there. And so he he referred me to that chapter uh, as the basis for which I could prepare Uh, for my interview with him as I was reading it I was just I was just enchanted and kind of transported by the beauty and uh, kind of lilting elegance of your of your account of Srivatsa an old friend of mine to such an extent that I felt like I didn't even know my own friend, <laughs> and so in the middle of that, it was so it was so insightful and such fine writing, uh, and you. so uh, thank you. And so I asked Srivasa, I, I said, "Who who is this uh, person who can can make me feel a stranger to my own friend with such, as I said, such insight and such a such a um, um, delicate delicate." Uh, presentation of something I thought I knew, including Vrindavan, where I also like you spent a lot of time. So for my listeners, this is how Professor Holly and I are together today. And it's a a very sweet encounter, despite our technical troubles. And so
1: (laughs) it's uh, a bittersweet
0: encounter, (laughs) bittersweet, because once you prevail, then uh, you feel all the better for it. And so uh, I want to do my best. Um, I want to do my best to to be a, a supportive interviewer and and try to gain from you, Professor, just uh, just things that conversation brings out. I know you spend a tremendous amount of time writing. You have a number of award-winning uh, books, over twenty-five books, as already mentioned in your introduction. So. Uh, but sometimes conversation is things come out uh, that are special or memorable. And so I'm hoping that this can happen with us today, too.
1: Um, so we have a couple of special categories for that in the Indian uh, sort of way of thinking of things. One is a vernacular term, goshi, which means kind of sitting down together and talking. Mm. And the other is the old formulaic uh, Sanskrit expression, sambhad, which is really Debate, but debate in a friendly way. In any case, here we are together. Or, uh, yeah,
0: excellent. And, and so the first one, the Hindi again is, or Sanskrit again is.
1: Oh, this is the Hindi word would be Uh hmm. or Satsang. In any case. Beautiful, beautiful. Indian categories. Yeah. Sitting yeah. together. Sitting you know, together. <laughs> Is that within your vocabulary? No, it's not. No. <laughs> I thought you had some Jewish stuff in I your do. <laughs> stuff. what is this? Come on. And it's the so Sabbath. you
0: you'll have in to
1: tovu There you
0: are. And the translation, please.
1: Oh, uh, what a blessed thing it is for people to sit together. Uh, beautiful.
0: Yeah. Uh, when I, was, uh, when I was interviewing Srivatsa and I was talking about, uh, we, we ended up talking about scripture and he corrected me. He said, uh, it's not scripture, which is connected to writing, but the uh, Hindu, tra- Hindu tradition is, is oral more. Uh, and there's a term for the sacred word that is uh, more spoken than written.
1: Uh, and yeah, he was referring probably to the Sanskrit word, sutti.
0: That's exactly, yes. And yeah. there was
1: a, actually, uh, in Vedic times a long time ago, there was a prohibition against writing out of the fear that it would um, be inaccurate. So it's
0: not great. It's not great. And then but the that, Western, Western uh, matter goes the opposite way, that they suspect the oral as the danger of inaccuracy.
1: I think, uh, uh, I think both have their point.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, So what I did was I tried to prepare. um, And there are two, there are two most recent things that I I caught, I think, from you, or I hope I guessed right. And one is that you've created a course uh, uh, that you're currently teaching at Barnard on spirituality and environmental concern i forget the exact name of how it appears in the catalog
1: it's called religion and climate crisis so spirituality is not in the title religion okay. and climate crisis and it's over with by as a matter of fact mm. because of covid uh, barnard and columbia made the decision to um, institute a new kind of teaching for this term which was uh, intensive teaching um, yes. It's not that all courses are that way, but some are. The, the guess was that on the basis of, um, of uh, computer fatigue or um, Zoom fatigue, yeah. it might really be well to try to restructure the curriculum. So that's, that's what we did.
0: And so, so the course was taught in a condensed period of time as
1: an intensive? It sure was. We met every day, mm-hmm. sort of like boot camp. hmm It happened, and and how long did
0: how long was it condensed to? Seven weeks. I see. Okay, so it's still a good long time together. Uh, Religion
1: and the climate crisis, and there was a colon after it, um, namely India. So the idea there was to try to uh, introduce students, both students who have some Indian background. Of their own, who have been to India, and students who have no acquaintance with India at all, uh, to a place in the world where the effects of climate change are being felt in a a more dramatic way than they are in the United States. Okay. Delhi, just up the river from Vrindavan, that same river, the Yamuna, uh, Mm -hmm. is uh, typically the most polluted city in the world um, uh, in terms of air quality and. Mm As she flows through Delhi, is uh, as polluted a river as you can find anywhere on the face of the globe. So, actually, the stretch of the Yamuna that goes that's between Delhi and Brindavan, which is downstream by about 100 miles, is uh, it's really a dead river. There's um, the oxygenation of the river is so minimal that uh, it is, it's it's just dead. And the poison's there and so forth. This is the sacred Yamuna River who mm-hmm. is acted as, um, and beloved, as herself a goddess. So she represents that vivid um, encounter with the the larger environment in which we human beings take our place. That is a fundamental part of uh, Hindu religiosity. So how is it possible that Hindus have allowed this to happen in their own country? I
0: see. Um, forgive my ignorance on this, but w- it, once a river is dead, is, is there any, can it be gradually re- resurrected? Can it yeah. be cleaned and restored? <laughs> yes, it can,
1: and, and that happens to the Yamuna, but you need for that to happen naturally. You have to have enough water flow in the river itself that it performs its own self-cleaning operation, and that's the problem with the Yamuna. It's a it's been so often dammed or, or subject to barrages, so that its water is um, sent in various directions, so that it can be used in industry and in agriculture. That there's not much water flow left in the Yamuna itself in most seasons of the year. When the monsoon comes, everything changes, and uh, you know it's it's like a different river. But then month by month, it uh, it becomes uh, weaker. Or, or I
0: see because of yeah. diversion of its of its. That's flow. right.
1: Yeah, and just in general, because you don't have a, um, a stable water supply at the top. Because of the monsoon, you don't have regular rains in North India. They happen mm-hmm. on a concentrated basis, rather. So the river is uh, vulnerable to being highly polluted outside of the monsoon season.
0: Uh,
1: a river can be rejuvenated. Yes, it can. There's a, a tributary to the, the Yamuna called the Sambal, which joins the river south of Agra and provides uh, quite... Uh, quite clean water, so it really by the time the Yamuna meets the Ganga, the Ganges at Allahabad, um, for the and went downstream to um, the delta of the uh, of the Ganges, which is in in Bengal, either on the Bangladesh or on the Indian side of the border. By the time that happens, the river it's be- it's better than it was. Delhi and Brindavan. It's still got lots and lots of problems, but 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 the segment between Delhi and Vrindavan is absolutely the worst of it. And we've been talking about industrial pollution, but it's also human pollution of all kinds, including lots of human sewage.
0: Mm. I Welcome see. To mm. Mm. And um, the water the water is in Delhi first. Before you said down, Brindavan is down. Delhi's
1: yeah. Delhi's upstream. I see. And,
0: and the and the the river flowing into it near Agra
1: is named called the Sambal. It's but that's quite a quite a ways downstream.
0: It's, I, see.
1: So all I the, see all the way down to Agra, you know, so you go to the Taj Mahal. Good for you. Mm-hmm. you see that remarkable building, which is built on the shores of the Yamuna. If you were to venture behind the Taj, you yeah. yourself in the presence of most seasons of the year, rather a shallow river. And um, and a deeply polluted one still. I see. Now the other, uh, I became just by the you know, we're, if I can say. Yeah. We're, we're talking about India, um, and we're and our conversation in the United States. Uh, we're responsible in direct and indirect ways for a lot of what has happened in in India I mean mention of the automobile it happened right here um the automobile which became uh publicly available for lots of people in India in the 1980s 90s um, because of the production of the maruti a a much cheaper vehicle than others um you know is a major polluter in the air for Delhi so you know well the question is what what burden, what what burden of guilt does the United States play in history? For first of all, for the invention of this machine, which has been a, a very good thing for very many people. We're able to use it here without its, you know, deeply affecting our air quality. Though, as we know, you know, Los Angeles was under a cloud of smog for many years, but we don't feel it to the extent that it's felt in much more densely populated parts of the world like India. We're so mm. thinking, you know, well, what are our obligations to, uh, to India on this score? And you could ask, does it have a religious dimension?
0: Mm. That's a challenging, challenging question. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I mean, the idea that, the idea that that it, an invention happens in a particular country then uh, adds a moral a moral kind of weight related to?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's not so much the invention as the fact that, uh, you know, among the larger countries of the world, ours is the one. Once you move outside the Northeast Corridor where both of us live, the... Yeah countries is constructed around the automobile. There could be no United States these days if there were not the automobile. And we are major releasers of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere on that account. So uh, by, you know, I'm just saying the most I think obvious and well-known thing that the, the proportion of, um, of uh, global warming gases that emerge from the United States, in relation to the size of the population, is just a, a massive figure. Nowhere near that in India, but uh, but everyone wants to have a car, wants to and so forth. So yeah, there it is. Yeah, well, there's a challenge.
0: I mean, um, do Indian cars? They. It, Indian, India India moves forward in terms of its technological advances including in the efforts for its autom- automobiles to pollute less as we do. Is that the case, uh, Professor, or
1: I well, mean- uh, Some vehicles, I would say India has done better than we have actually. They've made an effort to, not so much with automobiles but with other um, users of petrol and gas to, um, to make a change. There's a big moment in Delhi, back actually in the 80s where uh, a number of vehicles, including buses and uh, three wheelers were required to use as fuel, natural gas rather than petrol, rather than, mm. and that had an immediate effect on the quality of air in Delhi. It became much, much better, but, uh, but uh, that's not true for private cars. And as their number increased, uh, it didn't take long before we were back up to those same bad numbers and trucks or lorries, uh, again, are a a problem. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. and Added to the fact that in this season, in the Diwali season, uh, you have um, the the winds are less strong so that they don't uh, clean the air in the same way and you have the burning of the crops, which which puts uh, all sorts of particles up there in the atmosphere.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. It's often it's often despairing when one ponders the the progr- the the kind of juggernaut of, of environmental challenges. Um, the the. I became familiar with the notion of rivers as God as goddesses or gods uh, uh, because from my other travels in India up near Srinagar and so forth um, and of course the Ganges is the central river of India yes is that accurate to the say? biggest it's the biggest and all, is it is it most most revered among them or not necessarily I've always well, it would
1: depend where you are in the country you know if you're Mm-hmm. Narmada, and then of course it's the narmada but there's a some that's in western india but there's a certain sense that the narmada is the ganges actually so the ganges is certainly the point of major point of reference yes mm,
0: okay and does does that all like uh, the ganges is in varanasi isn't it also is that yes. the ganges yeah and um um is that also suffering from the same types of uh, threats and degradation that you described for the Jamuna
1: It sure is. Mm-hmm. It's not As extreme with the Yamuna because the Ganges is actually a, um, a bigger and deeper river. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the pollution and you spoke about in Varanasi, well Banaras is what it's uh, usually called on site. Uh, yeah, the pollution in Banaras is just awful. And mm-hmm. my my being there, which is now 45 years or so, it's just, you know, I used to swim in the Ganges in but up mm. upriver from the town. Still, but I did. I uh, never think of it today. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's uh, it's foreboding. Do you? Uh, this is. I don't like questions like this myself. But do you? Are do you? Are you genuinely see a ray of a path of hope, or do you see things kind of recalcitrant and and people are just. Not taking seriously enough. What is your general um, sense of how, of the capacity for humans to recognize uh, the need for substantial or serious action as time is kind of ticking so uh, so urgently?
1: Well, let's let's get back to the states. This is certainly. A, uh, one of the major planks of the Biden administration. I hope I can talk about it that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, there's no hiding from climate change. It's, uh, it's very much on the radar of, of his administration. And we know what Trump did. He said one of the first, one of his first acts was to withdraw our country from the Paris Accords. Half the nation, almost half the nation, is still following him. So you tell me, what kind of a chance do we have in that world?
0: Right, well, I am speaking specifically about India, because ultimately, as re, uh, to whatever extent the US will have its international burdens of responsibility, every country ultimately will need to uh, rise to meet its unique challenges domestically as well, right? Do you agree with well, that? Well,
1: that certainly is true. And the Modi government, to its credit, has picked up on the record of prior governments uh, to, um, publicly, at least, to face into some of the climate uh, issues that face the country, uh, it has not uh, tried to. You know, it's just commonplace knowledge. I think it is not felt that it's right for third world countries like India to bear the burden of climate change uh, when the first pollu- the first major pollutants were actually the richer nations, such as our own. The Modi government actually supports the um, the increased production of uh, coal energy in India. That's on the on the downside of the ledger. On the upside of the ledger, they have uh, instituted a um, it's called Namami Gange. I give honor to the Ganges campaign, which is uh, which has many parts to it. is supported recently again by the the World Bank, and offers the promise of, um, of real environmental change in India. But if you look at the record, we were talking about Banaras a moment ago, if you look at the record of what's actually happened in the city, it's been much more um, in the direction of window dressing than in the direction of uh, the, hard, uh, the hard work of, uh, of actually cleaning up the river. Hard work. So what? I don't know how we stand on that. And Vrindavan, you mentioned Svivats. That's how we got into this conversation. Yeah. Mm. He's been trying to, um, he certainly is a, a, a major figure in Vrindavan, but he's not the only one. And uh, he would be the first to say that his efforts, his and his group's efforts to really be serious about unpolluting uh, the Yamuna in Brindavan and doing something about air quality too, but this river pollution, especially that we're thinking about, have been needed have been met by uh, resistance from at some estimate of here some ninety five percent of the population. So that's a big number to be up against. And why are they against it? <coughs> Development, more jobs for everybody, mm-hmm. and and you might add uh, 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 a difficulty in. Indian and Hindu culture, um, how shall I put this? A difficulty around cleanliness issues. Mm. It's not that we don't have those problems too, but uh, but for centuries, on the part of most Indians. The carrying off of human waste with was somebody else's business, not mine. Yes. So look at, you know, look at and, and Srivats and his group are really trying to um, to meet that challenge. But it's, yeah, it's a, not an easy one. It's not
0: easy. It's a curious paradox because at the at the purest level, the 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 sacred uh, kind of uh, Extreme care about cleanliness is, co- is coexists with this kind of carelessness or, or non-attention that you just described. It's a it's almost paradoxical that people often look at uh, people from different cultures of our own and imagine them less advanced or less you know less developed, and uh, even by maybe how they dress in simpler ways. And yet, oftentimes, if you look at the spiritual roots, you'll find an, an attentiveness or, or clarity about cleanliness that is far in excess of what your average Western person
1: ever, ever thinks about. Uh, I agree with that. So yeah. then the question is, you use the word paradox. And fair enough. But mm. it, I I'm not sure that it seems to be a paradox to Indians. <laughs> so, I um, mean, you know, the, the issue is, is maintaining purity where one can and where it really matters. But that leaves aside whole domains of life that yeah. um, that often uh, no one has taken public responsibility for. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. Our record is clear either, but,
1: but it certainly isn't, in fact.
0: um... Well, you know, it's interesting, this, I wanted to move to this for a second, that um, when one thinks of, of pollution, or especially maybe water, also air, water and air pollution, there's kind of, there's two versions of it. There's the, there's the ultra modern version where development itself creates this kind of big, uh, kind of, shiny steel monster of polluting force of just just industry and and uh, and uh, chemicals roaring into rivers and things and then on the other side of it there's the kind of the version of just very primitive waste management just just human you know human waste uh, polluting the rivers or uh, I don't I don't know if I don't know if all the all the public or ritualistic uh, use of the Ganges is also a, a significant polluting force. Is it also just just the ritualistic dimensions of, like uh, the disposal of um, funeral funeral ashes and and so on and so forth? All of this, all of these types of things, which are somehow seen as the opposite of development, or even I can't find the right or. or correct, very, you know, something like primitive behavior? Or... So we're
1: talking about uh, Banaras. So there have been some, actually some studies on this. In Banaras, uh, as elsewhere along uh, the Yamuna and, and the Ganga. often uh, uh, the image of a deity will be um, at the end of a festival cycle. The, uh, the image of a deity, what, what do you do with them? Image Well, one immerses that image in, let's say, the Ganges. That wouldn't have been so bad a while ago because, because the paints that would have been used to um, give life and color to that image would not have had a, a chemical basis. They would have been natural paint. But now the cheaper and more sort of vivid colors uh, come from Chemistry based, right? So mm. all of that gets put in the Ganges. How significant is it in relation to other pollutants? I think you know, relatively minor, but uh, but important in a place like Banaras.
0: Mm. So 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 there's are kind of twin, twin. It's kind of lack of development is is a uh, yields a certain type of pollution, and and excess development or development itself yields a certain type of pollution, correct?
1: Uh, um, Well, you know what we're, yes. But the underlying problem that we're not talking about and it's a very difficult one is population. Yes, yes. Um, In my lifetime, the population has more than doubled. And so that's a lot of people. Yes. Uh, In the Delhi area, it has quadrupled. I see so you just imagine all of that construction search for water for that many people has Mm. the subterranean water level way way down Mm. and um and all the other effects of having so many people in that urban conglomerate just in terms of waste management of all kinds it's just enormous yes So when you ask about you know what is it to to actually look that in the face. I, it's hard to know what to say. In India it's been ever since well, let's do a little history. Uh, back in the in the reign of Indira Gandhi and the Congress party, there was an mm-hmm. effort in the mid-70s. Yeah. Where, um, an emergency was declared. So lots and lots of um, She said she was doing it so as to be able to make progress in the fight against poverty. I'm not sure we need to doubt that altogether. But uh, one of the means for doing that was to try to cut down the population to a level so that it was not reproducing itself in numbers that vastly exceeded present numbers. So the great slogan was, you know, we are two and we have two Uh, children in a family. Mm. There were various experiments in actually population control that went down very badly with the populace as a whole. So no one dares talk about population as a problem in India today. You don't, just don't hear anything about
0: it. I see.
1: So, uh, I mean, you know, we've got our own issues with abortion over here, but it's but it's not at all a problem on the same scale as it is in India.
0: I see. So, you
1: know, it's just a huge black box that no one is... Uh, daring to venture in at all would be a very uh, hard sell let us say to to introduce population control in the way that happened in the people's republic of china um for all the reasons that that we know very well and not wanting to be a part of an authoritarian state
0: right Being
1: able to come to a social compact that would um that would mean that that would override the desires of uh, individual um, mothers and fathers. Yes, but that's what it's. That's what we're talking about.
0: Now, um, sorry to be a little bit off off track from <laughs> uh, just in general conversation, but isn't it the case that um, people imagine that uh, the what is it the the growth of the growth of um, middle class or, or prosperity or uh, that, that that naturally brings population down. So when you're poor on a farm, you're going to have 11 kids, just because you need them just just to survive, curiously enough, oddly enough. And then when one moves up into middle classes, and you're having your children and you're thinking, you know, to get into a college these days is going to start saving yesterday, you know, uh, people naturally control the growth of their family, as um, it's basically the rise of middle class, I think is, it's
1: it's It's absolutely true that we have just the same thing in India and uh, numbers of people who are in the, you know, broadly middle class, how you would define that may be a question, but uh, exhibit exactly the pattern that you're talking about. Right. If that were to continue at present levels, we might have a stabilization of the population in something like 2060, 2060. Okay. Got to there. We would, uh, the population of India, let's say, would already be more than twice what it is now.
0: Yeah. Right, I understand.
1: Well, the- but that's probably what's going to, no, that's, that's probably the future we're looking at but uh, just imagine what the consequences of that are for our children.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, this, is, this has been a, certainly a very so, sober section of the conversation for sure. Uh, and should be, rightfully should be, especially with your knowledge specifically in these areas. If we're not going to be hearing about it clearly now, maybe we would never have otherwise. I don't want to be irresponsible and just jump around, but there's a, an, there's a related, I don't know if it's related, but there's another topic I was keen on asking you about because I, I seem to catch it in your writing and thinking. Uh, it's one of the first lines in your syllabus in which you says, the, one of the questions is whether religion brings resources, both in concept and in practice, to meet these crisis-proportion challenges, and again, this is something similar in terms of uh, moderns. Moderns often look at religion as somewhat backward or superstitious. Or I, I myself don't. I think it's uh, it's one of the most helpful things for giving hope, even in the face of these crises. That's my bias, but. Um, I I'm, like, I'm wondering before you know before we go too long to to hear your thoughts or or uh, on this ver- on this question I'm very interested in this question
1: uh, but, Amitav, or, Ghosh. Amitav uh, Ghosh, you know he is uh, has written this searing book called the great derangement and he is no optimist about uh, where we stand As a species right now, but as you come to the very last pages of that book, he wants to recognize and appreciate the contributions that are already being made by by some religious groups to try to look this problem in the face and uh, He has Pope Francis in mind, for example. Um, For sure. We need all the resources we can get and since since one of the things that religion is about, maybe it is the thing that religion is about is the relationship between human beings and whats and the ground of their being, you would hope that religion would provide some resources for people to people like myself to uh, stop and look and try to think what uh, what what demands our own religious traditions place on us mm. in this regard. Mm. So I've thought about um, as Srivats has, sort of after Srivats, I've thought about Vrindavan a lot in this regard. And I would hold up some of his efforts as examples of uh, how we might proceed. Mm. The amazing thing about Vrindavan, it's there in the name itself, is that it was it was created it was um it was all I don't know, it's for 2000 years at least it's been an idea in the mind of the indian people but it was a kind of edenic edenic idea an ideal idea that didn't necessarily have a, a place on a map in the 16th century and Vrindavan represented that a sense of an ideal space in which human beings uh Rivers, mountains, and animals got along in a you know, in a beautiful way. Yeah, uh, and uh, and, uh, and there are many parts to it. So to see Brindavan, this ideal place, as it was then established as a physical place of pilgrimage on the shores of the of the Yamuna in the sixteenth century,
0: mm-hmm.
1: see what it's up against in the twenty. 25- century is is just shocking one small small thing that i thought and following srivats and others could be done for brindavan is to make it a world heritage site so that you know under the auspices of unesco so that there would be some kind of rubric that would protect vrindavan against <laughs> against its uh, less good self mm, yeah, and um, industrialization, overpopulation and, and simply protect the river. But it's a symbolic gesture, largely speaking. Yes, it would require ultimately the cleaning up of the river so it would extend beyond Vrindavan, but then In Vrindavan, one could see what the stakes are because this is the, you know, this is the image for so many Indians of how the world ought to be if the world were as it should be, Mm -hmm. uh, the paradise of Krishna. Well, Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. but. um,
0: So, so kind of it's, it's sacredness in the mind of. India and Indians, if if it could start to make some genuine progress in terms of re, re, uh, ecological improvement and restoration, it's it's very it's very function as a place of ideal could could somehow somehow um, ex- be exported into. The minds of let's do this everywhere. This is what we can be. Uh, it's a little bit like the constant dream of peace in Jerusalem, where yes, be great, right? <laughs> it's something like that. It's it's yeah, weird, yes. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? It's it's like that river and 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 the the playground. Absolutely.
1: Of, hmm. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Think about Jerusalem. Hi. yeah. <laughs>
0: So one is one is the clash of religions, and one is and the other one is the integration of humanity and the and the sacred earth in that supports us. Uh, they're just it's relational in both ways, and kind of could be, certain in a certain way, a crown jewel of that relationship. If there are signs of progress, it's a symbol of of what we might in fact can can be. It's because it's, it's the one of the hardest places in both in both accounts. In both and I think
1: you've said that very well. Here we have, you know, here we have religion. <laughs> and we want to look at a place where, you know, conflict is, you know, really seems just intractable. Look at Jerusalem. Right. You know, want us to look at a place where the challenges of the environment seem insuperable. Look at Vrindavan.
0: There you go. So interesting, right?
1: And So ins- for are- Brindavan, the, the, yes. you, you know, it would just be a sort of matter of a city on the hill, an example. But Brindavan itself is being eaten up by the megalopolis that is Delhi. People now go down to Brindavan on weekends, become the weekends. Okay, yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that in people's appreciation of what Brindavan is. Today, I guarantee you, Brindavan is flooded with um, people from elsewhere in the greater Delhi region coming to, you know, to be in Brindavan for Diwali, or for Govardhan Puja, as it's called, in the British country itself. The place is flooded. So it's not as if the, the sort of you know, the old hymn, pray for the peace of Jerusalem to me. It's not as if one's praying for the peace of Brindavan at a distance, no, people are going there. so. If Brindavan, if if the people who really care about Vrindavan could accept the seriousness of the situation and see themselves as you know, real actors on the stage of human history, it would it might really make quite a difference. But but it's gonna require acts of sacrifice from all of us. Yeah. That's very you know, it's hard to face into
0: yeah yeah you have a you have a natural you have a natural um kind of what's that thing that you used to look at when you were little and you turn it and all the things
1: uh kaleidoscope,
0: kaleidoscope. you have a kind yes. of a kaleidoscopic
1: not view. everybody's uh, childhood was like that but when we, <laughs> yes we had a kaleidoscope
0: and so uh because I remember reading a f- sentence or two when you were you were just saying I, I wish I could memorize it. It's something like the, the the natural cycles of the seasons are lost there, and the weekend has the weekend has replaced the seasonal the seasonal reality. That's true. Yeah, and then you talked about one day one day holidays and the like. Uh, do you remember this part of uh, of uh, Krishna's playground? Maybe not, but um, so so just this whole idea, uh, this whole idea of not only not only the earth getting polluted by. Uh, by human misbehavior, but also the, the realm of the sacred also getting polluted by human misbehavior. So you, you talk about these big Disneyland type ashrams springing up everywhere in, the, uh, in Brindaban. And so even the, religion, the religion's leaders themselves are almost equally uh, responsible for attracting or drawing this kind of misapplication. Of
1: I wouldn't, you yeah, don't want to judge that one myself in quite those terms. We have a couple of things going on here. One is the collapse of the natural seasons as feeders for uh, pilgrims to Vrindavan in various seasons, which used to be very notable. You'd see people from the east of India coming in one season, and people from the Punjab in others. It, uh, it made sense in terms of their agricultural cycles and so forth. So mm. part of the sort of the natural Rhythms of of the earth with people coming to Brindavan from various locales and then the other Element that you just mentioned Is very um, Is startlingly clear in Brindavan. Once again, it's a kind of example of what's What's happening in our world or different ways of relating to being Human and religious at the same time. So ISKCON, that's to say, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness in yes. Bangalore um, setting. That's a part of ISKON that has is broken away from international ISKON, so as to be a self-governing uh, uh, native ISKON, emerging from and representing really the IT economy of Bangalore. So. ISKCON Bangalore has this project at the periphery of Vrindavan to build there a 70-story tower. 70 stories in a in a town that built uh, mm. yesterday really had no buildings that were taller than one and a half. Yeah, or maybe four stories at <laughs> most. Things have changed. 70. So why would they do that? Mm. Because they want to be. They want. Krishna and the worship of Krishna to be a part of our times. They don't want, they don't want the, the temples that, uh, that represent him to be just forgotten among the skyscrapers, the great monuments of our time. So the purpose is to build a skyscraper monument that will be attractive and will be different from others and will pull people into Krishna consciousness. Okay. Part okay. of it is a sort of theme park atmosphere that they'll be building too. But the, the question then is whether assimilating, let's call it religion, to the conditions of modern life really is the way to go. You and I are sitting in New York, there was a period in the history of, of New York where a set of buildings called skyscraper churches were built. Mm. So the old churches suddenly found themselves in the shadows of the skyscrapers that represented the way New York was going to be. So one tried to sort of catch up with it. My office looks out at one, it's the tower of the Riverside church, which had John D. Uh Uh Rockefeller. So, you know, there was an effort to build a skyscraper that would be taller than any other, you know, building in New York it had the advantage of being on Morningside Heights. Mm-hmm. It would sort of be a beacon to the skyscraper world. So one can understand how um, the Bangalore, gone people want to be that kind of voice in the otherwise, let's say, godless um, or dangerously godless world that we now live in. But by, but in Vrindavan, by um, giving in to that urge to build, you know, a Tower of Babel, let's call it, or a ziggurat that's as tall as everybody else's, the big question is whether that doesn't um, not just diminish but uh, cancel the sense of Eden-like um, pristineness that was needed mm-hmm. for Vrindavan in the first mm-hmm. time. So once again, Vrindavan serves as this a dramatic place of uh, conflict between the world that surrounds it and the world that in its concept, it was intended to represent.
0: Mm -hmm. Fascinating. That's positively fascinating. Uh,
1: I've got, uh, um, we should close up pretty quick.
0: Yeah, yeah very good well let's leave it at that um, i was questioning whether or not to touch on one other point but i see that it's kind of an iceberg what i had in mind and so and i think you've really done a done a, a perfect job in bringing this this giant project in front of us which leaves the whole rest of the questions for us to ponder maybe well, i like we'll have-
1: the i like the image of an ice, iceberg it's exactly the kind of thing we don't want to melt. <laughs> really, we have a yeah. few icebergs left in the world. It would not be a bad thing, and yeah. we don't buy maybe, any of them.
0: Maybe we'll be able to hear from you again sometime. But this has been a real blessing and a real education. Well, thanks so, very much. It's a thank pleasure. Thank you very much you. for it. And
1: here. we have the secret from our heroes of the fact that we actually engineered this via Zoom, so we actually know each what the other looks like.
0: There you go. That's a a great start. Okay. Thank you so much, Professor.
1: And a happy Diwali to you, Sub Diwali.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.